we have the inner court, we have the outer court, and then we have the outer courtyard. And so I try to keep people in the places where they have permission. And as Randy Baxter is an accredited financial counselor, a financial fitness coach, and the owner of Living Abundantly, a financial education and coaching company. She partners with families who are ready to live an abundant financial life. She is the creator of the Three Little Divas and co-founder of Black Girl Financial Magic. As a financial coach and educator, Brandy has witnessed families realize their financial dreams of saving for vacation, purchasing homes, paying off debts, and deliverance from paycheck to paycheck lifestyles. Along with being a financial trainer, Brandy has served as an Air Force veteran. She is a dynamic speaker and executive coach. Well, today on Becoming Disciplined, we interview Brandy Baxter. For our listeners, I don't invite anyone on this show who is not disciplined in at least one of the following areas. Spirituality, uh, mental discipline, physical discipline, emotional discipline, financial discipline, uh, time management, uh, home organization, and data organization. I have personally seen Brandy's discipline exemplified in several areas. But before we talk about the issue of discipline, and before we tell you the end of Brandy's story or the middle of Brandy's story, let's try to understand your context, Brandy. Context is everything. Where did you grow up, Brandy? I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, oh. a working class community south of Detroit. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, would you call your family traditional or unconventional? My family was very much unconventional. My mom was a single mom. She raised four daughters on her own. Um, I lived very close to my grandparents most of my growing up years. And so they played a key role in a lot of my development and just who I am as a person. Sure. Now, who was the person? I'm, I'm actually going to I'm already going to diverge from the notes because my mind is kind of racing here on, on two different levels. Who was a person who had an extreme amount of uh, discipline in your life in your formative years? But then also I'm going to throw you a curveball. Who is someone in your life that you met that encouraged you regarding the area of financial discipline, which is two wow. separate things? Absolutely. OK, so when my in my formative years, the person who had the most discipline and also who had the most influence on me was my grandfather. He um, retired from the railroad, moved north, and every morning this man ate the same thing for breakfast. And mm. every afternoon he read the newspaper. And every evening he went for a walk. And as a child, these just seem like very strange practices, like what in the world? But as an adult, I began appreciating that consistency and I began appreciating how that schedule helped him stay in control of the things that were happening in his life. And it just gave him a sense of peace. And um, he was able to just really enjoy his retirement years. And so it's so funny, often now as an adult, whenever I have two eggs, two pieces of bacon and two pieces of toast, I'm always reminded of my grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. That is awesome. Um, as an adult, we I found myself um, really getting disciplined 
with personal finance when I wanted to join the military and going through the application process and everything. And the recruiter says to me, you have more debt than you have income. Mm. And as a result, you could potentially be a security risk for the United States. And we're not sure we can let you in unless you can pay down some of this debt. And I was like, what? I've never heard of such a thing. Anybody can join the military. What are you talking about? And it was this very uh, awakening moment for me because prior to that, I had not connected financial decisions with anything outside of buying and consuming. I had never connected my financial decisions with how it could impact other areas of my life. And so at that moment, I remember calling my grandmother and saying, they won't let me in. I need $500 to pay down some debt. Can you help me? And my grandmother was so gracious. She said, I'll sleep on it. Wow. <laughs> and wow. so for 24 hours, I wasn't sure. I had already quit my job. I had already moved out of my apartment. Like going to the military was my plan. And it was now in jeopardy. Lovingly, my grandmother loaned me the money and I paid down the debt. And 30 days later, I was able to join the military. But it just stayed with me like, wow, financial decisions have an impact on so many other areas of our lives. And so when I joined the military, I took full advantage of the uh, family support program, financial education, et cetera. And it began to be something that I was passionate about because I recognized if I didn't know this stuff, other people didn't know this stuff as well. And more importantly, in our smaller blue collar working class communities, we often go to work, pay bills, go to work, pay bills. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can miss how this cycle and the choices we make in the middle of that cycle can have an impact on other areas outside of our financial life. Mm, very powerful. Very powerful. Very <laughs> powerful. Um, and uh, let me just share this with our audience as well. Uh, I have worked in clearances and clearances and adjudications uh, for many, many years, uh, you know, in the government. Um, and I'm speaking about past experiences, not current experiences. And I can share with you as, as at least as late as 2017, um, the reason why people lost their clearance, the, the biggest reason was because of financial indebtedness. So, um, you know, it's a significant, it's a significant issue. And uh, I can also say that working in not-for-profits, um, I have seen people who have degrees and are officers and everything that you would, you would never even imagine that uh, struggle with, with their budgeting. You know, yeah. so uh, I can't wait to get into that as we as we progress in this in this interview. Now, growing up, because we want to stay on the context of who is Brandy. All right. Uh, <laughs> you are very, very tall, but I also know you come from a really religious background. So were you allowed to play sports and did you play a basketball or anything like that? <laughs> so first, let me clarify for your audience. I'm only 5'9". Oh, Tony wow. says really, really tall. <laughs> so we want to make sure we keep that like, well, how tall is she? I'm only 5'9". <laughs> um, the funny thing is 
yes, I did grow up in a very strict religious background. Um, and I was not allowed to participate in a lot of extracurricular activities. But the interesting thing about that is I wasn't interested in extracurricular activities. Sure, sure, uh, sure. Growing up, I was very much an academic. So I did not miss out a lot um, not playing sports. However, now as an adult, having kiddos, I totally see the value in playing sports and the team building and the group dynamics. But um, for me, playing sports was not the thing. I was all day academic. Um, and it was almost like a personal challenge to see if I could beat myself. Like, I know that's so nerdy, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's awesome. That is awesome. Well, I can say, Brandy, to me, you seem like you're six foot. Okay. You seem like it must be the spiritual stature. That's why. That's why. Now, okay, uh, I'll take it. <laughs> now, when we speak about academics, who's responsible for helping you with good study habits and who helped you with your study habits? Because. Uh, a lot of times people don't understand it's not always how smart you are, but it's uh, if you can if you can develop good study habits that I'm going to study between this time and that time. And I'm going to have good notes and I'm going to learn about note taking and all of those things. Who taught you that? Wow. So I feel like a combination of people were involved in that development for me. My in a topic. Uh, she was the first one to say, okay, let's go to the library and get all the books you want and read about it. She always encouraged reading. Um, and my mom also had a very interesting communication style in that she, before it was cool, she would ask a ton of questions. Uh, rarely would she allow us to ask a question and then she would answer. She always challenged us to know for ourselves. So mm -hmm. that sort of started me on this quest of knowledge seeking. And then when I was in high school, I was blessed to have an amazing English teacher who would just sit. She noticed that I loved reading and the writing aspect of it. She helped craft for me and and would introduce me to other writers and, and, and teach me how to pay attention to what other writers were doing so that I would then notice where my writing was different and where I wanted to make adjustments in my writing style, as well as um, key elements to include in a story, all of the details that people now compliment me on, I attribute to my mom's uh, just support and to my English teacher really encouraging me to pay attention to what is working well and to identify, you know what, I need to include that or I need to make an adjustment in my own writing as well. I want our listeners to catch and to ensure that uh, they catch that about the way your mom would answer a question with a question. Yes. Um, you know, sometimes I get too busy uh, answering the questions uh, instead of uh, uh, using that process. And we also mm -hmm. know, I think we know the, the wisest man of all used your mom's process as well. So, so <laughs> or she uh, used his process. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, definitely we need to highlight that because that is something that I am going to take away as a as a as a father. Now, uh, let me explain the context of this question. I ask this of all our listeners and all of our our, our people who come to interview all of our guests, uh, because this is a cornerstone of discipline. and. Uh, uh, and some of our guests are, are are not good sleepers at all. And they're still very disciplined, 
but it is a cornerstone according to the studies of some of, of being able to obtain discipline. So let me ask you a question, Ms. Brandy. Are you a good sleeper? And if you are, when and where did you develop your current sleep habits? So unfortunately, I am not a good sleeper. Okay. And let me clarify that. Um, I sleep for eight hours. What I'm learning um, as an adult is I am not deep sleeping for eight hours. Mm. And so I am a thinker. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I sometimes feel like that's a punishment. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I am asleep. Um, like most of us, I have the smartwatch that tracks all, all the stuff. And so I am asleep for eight hours, but I'm only deep sleep for about half of that, if mm. that. And it's interesting the way the question is framed in that the sleep correlation to uh, habits of being disciplined. I can tell when I'm off my schedule because I don't even get my eight hours of sleep, let alone deep sleep. So what that means is my brain is not recharging, my body is not recharging, and I'm not able to perform at peak performance. So I wake up the next day and it's a snowball effect. And so what I've had to do is a hard stop on all activity. Like literally, if I feel that I'm off schedule, um, I will stop and whatever that day, I'm going to bed an hour early so that I can get myself back on schedule. So yeah, unfortunately I'm not a good sleeper, but I recognize how that pattern um, influences me throughout the rest of the day. But yeah, I blame the military on that one because <laughs> they teach us to just go, 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 go. And unfortunately I feel like some of that is still with me, just like accomplish the mission, charge hard and keep it moving that, um, you learn to adapt without having the adequate amount of sleep. Not that, that it's is, a good thing. <laughs> that is a great answer, and I, I liked uh, I liked how you broke that down. How you broke broke that down. Now, uh, another aspect of discipline that is one of the more elusive, uh, but the reason why I mention it is I think it's also the probably the number one key to success in life is emotional discipline. And you, you know, I know that you have been in ministry and then now you also now are dealing with a lot of young veterans, uh, you know, you know, really, really young folks sometimes. And my question is, uh, how do you manage those relationships with your clientele? Because I already know through ministry that sometimes those those um, relationships and the, the boundaries can can easily become blurry. So how do you how do you manage that and how do you keep that uh, in check? So not to over spiritualize this, but my husband and I think about our home life. It's time for Tony's Golden Nugget. Like the temple. So we have the inner court, we have the outer court, and then we have the outer courtyard. And so right. I try to keep people in the places where they have permission. And as a be disciplined, subscribe now. People are in my outer courtyard, and 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 I I manage those relationships as such. I'm fully apparent. I mean, transparent with them that this is this type of a relationship. These are the boundary lines that you have freedom to move around in. 
And then for other relationships, as in the case of like ministry, um, because it requires a, a deeper connection to me, I allowed some of those people to come into that outer courtyard and they understand, you know, my associates are here and you're here. And I don't let everyone in. Everyone can't get permission to that, to that space. And then we have the inner court, right? So these are the people that, uh, to to quote my husband, these are the people that you give your cell phone number to. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Your real cell phone number. (laughs) Right, 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 right. And so we have people that are part of our inner court, uh, the ones that you can call on, your, your confidants. But then I also have a holy of holies. And and I look at my home address. That's my holy of holies. Everyone does not deserve to cross the threshold of my home. That is my sanctuary. That is my safe place, not only for me, but for my children. And so I manage that um, by looking at, okay, what level of access does this person, first of all, deserve? And second of all, am I willing to grant? Because there are people who deserve to be in my inner court, but I'm not willing to make the emotional investment at that time because I'm already taxed somewhere else. So I have to be very self-aware. Emotional intelligence is something that I've been studying a lot for the past few years. And so that the more I understand me, the better I can understand other people. And I recognize that when I allow someone to get closer than they either deserve to be or I have given Uh, the permission for them to be, it creates tension. But if I'm very clear on the lines of this is the, these are the boundaries of this relationship. It helps them understand and it helps me understand. And we tend to not have any issues. That's very powerful. Uh, I will try to remember at least the first three times I will credit you when I'm speaking, when I use that (laughs) analogy. But then, you know, the Baptist tradition after three times, I'm just going to claim it for myself. Okay, (laughs) so so in the early speeches, you will find me crediting Brandy for that wonderful analogy. That's probably the best analogy. And and I listen to a lot of self-help. I listen to a lot of stuff on emotional discipline. That is probably the best analogy that I've ever heard. So, well, yet again, I cannot take credit for that. Our uh, Heavenly Father gave us that example. <laughs> that is wonderful. That is wonderful. But not everybody takes that temple example and then applies it in such a wise way. So, that's, that's that is awesome, Sister Brandy. All right. So, now on becoming disciplined, we examine discipline uh, or organizational discipline in the following areas spirituality mental, physical, emotional, finance, time organization, home organization, data organization. Can you tell us which of these do you consider your strongest points? Wow. Um, I think my strongest point is in the discipline of my home. Like I shared in the earlier example I don't allow everyone in. And in fact, I had some some associates come over for a project that we did at my house because of COVID and we were outside. And one of the girls said, I've known you three years and this is the first time I've been to your house. And so in managing our home, um, just the, the discipline of everyone knows where they need to be what they need to do. My children are now nine and 10. And so I've increased their level of responsibility because Mm -hmm. I need them to have a vested interest in the success of our home. It's not about 
academic success. It's not about professional success. This is our sanctuary. And so, you know, everyone has to have an invested interest in that. And how I kind of keep the house organized is so crazy. I have dry erase boards everywhere. Um, (laughs) I list out things for my kiddos so they know what's expected of them in the morning when they come home from school before they go to bed. I have a, a calendar that I will print for them because they like to do that whole competition. It's not my turn. It's your turn. And so mm-hmm. I put a calendar together. Who washes the dishes? Who sweeps the floor? Who takes the trash out this week? Who takes the trash out the next week? Just all of those things to try to keep organized. My husband and I, we share a calendar. So every appointment on his calendar and my calendar, both of us can see so that we try to minimize scheduling conflicts. Um, yeah, all of those things, that's where I, that's kind of my my zone where I like to keep everything where it's supposed to be and keep it organized. Sure. Now, which of these would you consider your weakest (laughs) (laughs) or undeveloped areas? Ah, I like that better. So it's interesting. I feel that my area that I need to develop a lot more would be in physical discipline. Um, I have not struggled in my adult life with balancing weight. I've been super blessed that my weight has been constant. However, what is seen on the outside is not indicative of what's happening on the inside. And so as a result in COVID, I have experienced some extreme anemia. Mm -hmm. And as my doctor was explaining it, she was like, well, you need to put more of this in your body and more of that in your body. And I, I really, like, I knew it cognitively. I knew this, but I began to internalize how just because the exterior package looks socially acceptable does not tell the full story of what's happening on the inside. And so I want to be more disciplined in how I care for myself from the inside out, not so much about what other people can see, oh, this, that, and the other, but really just having the confidence to know that I am caring well for myself inside out. Sure. And I think we can learn that uh, not a lot of people are going to understand this reference, but uh, uh, anyone who watched wrestling as a child, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> we, lo- we lose a lot of those wrestlers like it. And they and these wrestlers have amazing bodies, you know, they're they're muscular and everything else but because of not taking care of the inside out yeah. you know we lose them at age 50 and age 60 so that you know that is a very good thing now some people believe on focusing on strengths and ignoring weaknesses what do you believe about that i totally disagree with that so i mentioned earlier about being a person who's pretty self aware um when my husband and I married, I began like packing up my whole life every two and a half years. And so that meant every two and a half years, I was experiencing new interpersonal relationships on whatever level. And I began noticing a disturbing trend that every time we left an assignment, someone was mad at me. Oh, wow. <laughs> Either I had said something or I had not met an expectation or whatever. And it began troubling me. And so I was like, Lord, I don't understand what in the world is happening. Clearly, this pattern is following me. So it must be me. Right. So what what am I doing wrong? And so I began identifying, just self-identifying the weak areas. 
uh, how I communicate. My communication style is very direct. But I began recognizing most people don't like that or they don't receive it with what I'm intending it to be. Um, I also recognize that I ask a ton of questions and some people receive that as challenging them. But for me, it's gathering information. And so as I began identifying these areas of conflict between me and other people, I recognize not necessarily weakness as in a flaw, but weakness as in my self-awareness in that area was weak. And mm -hmm. as I became more aware of it, I knew how to respond to other people. So, for example, um, in group dynamics, I don't immediately ask all the questions that start flooding my brain as I'm trying to gather information. I've learned to manage that and allow other people to ask questions or ask one question and stop talking. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> you know, and so just learning more and more of me and, and understanding Okay, these, these are the areas where, where people are experiencing tension in how they interact with me. What can I learn about that? And then what can I do about that? And so I feel that if I focused only on my strengths, then I would continue charging ahead. I would continue asking great questions. I would continue, um, you know, doing all of the talking. And then I would miss out on what other people had to offer if I only focused on my strengths. But by spending some time exploring my weak areas or the areas that were causing tension with other people, I learned a ton about me, but I also got to experience so much more from the people I had conversations with. I remember you asking questions. I always found it refreshing. OK, <laughs> so I always found it refreshing. I was like, man, why don't why don't more people do that? But, uh, <laughs> but uh, we have our little societal norms, unfortunately. And uh and and that's very profound what you just shared. Now, uh, you also wrote an awesome book entitled "Reach Your Money Goals in Three Steps." And uh, my question is, if you could first of all tell us about the book, and then also what is your advice for aspiring authors? Certainly. So hang on a second. All right. Woohoo! Got my little book here. Amen. That is awesome. And we're going to put that at the end of the video as well. Perfect. Um, so I was inspired to write this book because I gave a presentation to a group of women veterans and I wanted them to think about their money experience differently. And so my children and I had recently gone to a play of the three little pigs. And mm. so that was fresh on my mind. And so as I'm writing this presentation, I was like, what are three money personalities that we as women tend to have? And so I began drafting an outline of like the first little pig uh, who had the house of straw. What kind of money personality is associated with that? And then the one who had the house of wood, what kind of money personality would be associated with that? So that first one house of straw, you know, there's no care about saving. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. The one who has the house of wood, it's like, okay, I know what I should do. I should build a, a solid place of residence, but life happens and things happen. And so it's not a stable foundation. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, the, the piggy who built the house out of bricks, which is a stable foundation. So what money personality traits are associated with that? And, you know, that's the person who knows what their future goal is and, and they put a plan in place to accomplish it and they allow room for mistakes and all of these things. And so the premise of the book is to teach the reader, one, to identify your money personality, 
but then two, to give you a step-by-step outline of how you can become more like the personality you want to be. I never tell you what personality to be, but the, you will identify, you know, I want to have more stability. So how do I make those steps to get there? What advice do you have for aspiring authors? What, what would you, if someone's going to start writing their book, uh, we have a lot of motivational speakers that watch this uh, podcast already. Sure. And, uh, and, and we know that for people who are motivational speaking or people who are getting into the speaking industry, you need a book, you need product to move. Okay. So what, <laughs> what, uh, what advice do you give to that person who is starting to write their book today? So I would tell them to find something that they love to talk about and grab a recorder on their phone and just talk first. Okay. Because honestly, my book, I didn't approach it as a book. Uh, a friend of mine is an author and she said, hey, you should write this as a book. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And she said, take your notes from your presentation." And what I would do is start talking about the thing that I'm most passionate talking about or take your recent talk that you've already given and follow that outline. Um, I tend to present with three main points. And so I made each point a sub uh, a chapter and I just expanded it. What more can I say about this? What more can I say about this? Or what do I want the reader to take away from this? When you're speaking, you're literally stuck to the clock because you have a limited amount of time. But when you're writing, you can tell the reader all the fun stuff that you would want to tell them while you are speaking. Mm -hmm. So take your three points, make those your three neat chapters, do an introduction chapter so the reader knows what they're getting into. If you need to explain anything, do an explanation chapter. Now you're at five chapters before you know it. And then you have a wrap up chapter where you kind of summarize everything. And if you plan to write another book or you have another talk you want to turn into a book, whet the reader's appetite that something more is coming. So the story, the my book is called The Story of the Three Little Pigs, right? Because I want the readers to know there's more to this story. This is not a single book. Um, and in fact, I've already kind of got ideas of what the next two books are going to be. So once right. I get some time, I'm going to sit still and, and finish that. But really looking at the, the whatever the key points in your talk What more can you say about that? What are some things that if you were in front of an audience, you would want them to take away? That's your three chapters. Do an intro chapter, an exit chapter, and then maybe one more chapter to kind of set things up and you can have five chapters. Uh, You have helped just so many people. I don't think you're going to realize, I don't think you realize how many people you've helped with that bit of advice. That is. Let me help you a little bit more. You can totally self-publish for free on Amazon. Oh, my gosh. I was blown away. And so for me, my writing project was more of a personal accomplishment. It was like, you know what? Can I do this? This is I really felt that this was something special, unlike anything I had ever done before the content. And so I I was excited to make it a book. So I I really and I I think you were going to ask me about that. How did I go through this process? So I carved out the time and and like said, this is my writing time. Because I I felt that this was something special. And so what I did not do was challenge myself to write every day. Mm -hmm. So in the middle of this, you know, I'm still a mom. I'm a this, I'm a that. And so I said Sunday evening, the kiddos go to bed around 8. Sunday evening between 8 and 10, I'm going to work on my book. And I didn't approach it like, oh, I have to write so many chapters and all of that. My stuff is all non-traditional and unconventional against the fray. So what I just did, I said, I'm going to just give myself two hours. 
And if I were speaking to an audience, what would I say? So my book is very conversational, which was my intent. I wanted the reader to feel like we were sitting down, you know, having soda or sipping tea, and then I'm talking to them. So let me clarify, my process worked for the intent of my book. If you're trying to write an informational book, you may want to tone down the conversational piece a little bit, but it's the same point. What would you want to say to someone? And then you write it. Mm. Uh, which do you prefer more, more uh, speaking or writing? Oh, gosh, I prefer speaking all day. <laughs> <laughs> you get, the, you get the, the, the back and forth there. Yes, I love the back and forth. And I'm an educator at heart. So I like it when people are like, well, tell me more. I'm like, gladly. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. Now, uh, your bio says that you are an AFC and an FFC. Can you share with our audience what is that and the process of how you became, uh, how you uh, how you got those credentials? Yeah, so an AFC is an accredited financial counselor and an FFC is a financial fitness coach. Both of these designations demonstrate that I have invested time, education, and experience. And it was important to me to have designations because anyone can say I'm a financial whatever, right? With the exception of financial planner. But you can say I'm a financial coach, I'm a this, I'm a that. I wanted anyone working with me to know that I take my craft so seriously that what the service that they are going to get with me, I take it so seriously that I adhere to what's called a fiduciary standard which means that I voluntarily agree to put the needs of my clients ahead of my own financial gain. Mm. That's the oath that I take. And second of all, this, the, uh, both designations require continuing education. So that also means that my clients can expect me to have invested the time to make sure that any tools, tips, or practices that I recommend are current, not outdated, and that they're relative to where we are right now. For example, I'm not going to recommend to a client that they stash their money under their mattress. That's right. outdated and ineffective, right? right? <laughs> so I have, you know, invested the time in continuing education so that I can deliver a high standard of service. Sure, sure. Now, uh, for for both programs, uh, is that um, that certification, does it come from a community college or does it come from a... Ah. So those certifications come from a national, a national organization called the Association of Financial Counselors, Planning and Education. And that is a membership organization. So in addition to my designation, um, I'm also a member of the organization so that I'm invested in making sure that my fellow colleagues, that we all stay connected and we can continue to share best practices. The FFC is owned by Sage Financial Services, which is a partner with AFC. And similarly, um, that designation also comes with a community of financial coaches because the methodologies are different. Counseling is telling the client what to do. Coaching is asking the client what they want to do. And the approach is so, so different because as the coach, my job is to help the client unpack what they internally know they want to do, but they have some limiting beliefs or they have some mental blocks or they don't have the support and the encouragement to step out on that thing. And so as a coach, it's not for me to hold the body of knowledge, it's for me to unlock the body of knowledge. 
Awesome. Now, uh, for veterans who are just getting out and they might be intrigued uh, about pursuing that as a path, do they have to get their bachelor's first before they apply for those? No, no education, prior education, I should say, is needed. You apply through the AFC website, which is afcpe.org, apply through their website, and um, you can go through, there's an uh, there's a academic portion to it where they will train you on the counseling skills, and then there's a practicum side to it where you have to practice under the supervision of a mentor so many hours of financial counseling, coaching, training, and education before you are qualified to get your designation. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And if someone, here's a bonus tip. If someone is a military spouse, they often have, I think annually, a military spouse fellowship where you can apply and your tuition will be covered because you're a military spouse. Mm, that is intriguing. Now, how <laughs> long did it take you to get those accreditations? Around how much time? Uh, well, I had to start from zero because I didn't have any hours in finance. So it took me about a year and a half, the, oh. the education piece and then the earning my hours. Okay. Now you are embarking upon a new academic journey. So can you talk to us about that? So it's not quite new. I'm actually coming toward the end of this journey. Awesome. For the past, yeah, for the past two years, I have been enrolled at Regent in a doctoral program where I'm studying strategic foresight. And after, in fact, in about three weeks, I'll be wrapping up my final classes. And then next January, in January, I'll start my writing project. So I'll be in the deep research and writing stage, which is my favorite part. Um, so, and I know you're probably like, what in the world is that? So strategic foresight is a, a process where generally corporations, companies, leaders will follow different, uh, use different tools to plan for the future of their businesses and their organizations. Mm -hmm. uh, typically beyond your five to 10 year plan, but we're looking at 10, 20, 30 years into the future, they develop scenarios and based on these scenarios, they plan today how they could re respond if something were to happen in line with each scenario. Mm -hmm. So as I um, felt called to go back to school, I was like, Laura, what in the world am I going to study? Why are you even sending me to school? I've got two little kids. I don't have the time. What in the world? But as I began <laughs> learning about strategic foresight, there was this moment of aha where the Holy Spirit told me these same tools that businesses, companies, corporations, et cetera, that they're using to plan for the future of their companies, you have a unique opportunity to bring these tools to the personal finance community so that everyday families can rethink how they approach their money and their savings goals. And so I'm taking these very corporate, you know, stiff kind of tools layering them with some brandy sauce and now I'm going to present them to clients who are in a position to say you know what I've got cash flow but I'm I'm a couple we've got kiddos we want to save for college we want to save for retirement like how do we get started and why is this even important you know people know they want to do these things and then we sometimes get stuck on the journey toward them so what I want to do is create a model where they can have the resources and the tools to help them stay on track. And I think, uh, let me just, I mean, and correct me, and we'll edit it out if I'm wrong on my assumption here, but so someone who doesn't have that strategic planning or that uh, strategic foresight 
and they're giving someone financial advice and the person has a career that, for instance, with your new education, you're learning, I'm sure, well, I'm not sure. Let me, let me find out. Uh, <laughs> let me not assume. But uh, there's some, there are some jobs that are going to be eliminated by AI. And as you're helping families plan, then, you know, that's, that could become one of your suggestions if you know that this person is going to be in a position as, and they're financially planning and they're making right now $100,000 a year as a truck driver, um, educating them about that, that new risk that is coming mm -hmm. forward is something that's very valuable and very helpful. Absolutely. To put it in easier language, for those that are familiar with SWAT, Imagine doing a SWOT analysis on your financial situation. Mm, that's powerful. And that's so powerful. now you start looking at, wow, where are the weaknesses? And like you mentioned, where are the threats? Where are the threats to my quality of life? Where are the threats to the future plans that we have? We want to send our kiddos to college. What are the threats associated with that? Very few people think in those terms. And so that's what I want to help people do. How do we think about our money from a strategic standpoint, not just save for retirement, right? Because everyone's doing that. Everyone's saving their million or two million for retirement. At least that's what they tell us. Sure. But sure. very few of us, how many families do you think had a strategic plan when COVID hit? Right. And we had mass unemployment. And even our own government was not prepared to respond to such a huge demand for resources. Sure. And so I want to equip families to say, okay, wait a minute. This is unexpected. Gotcha. But we have an emergency plan that we already worked on before the emergency happened. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I have a small carve out that I teach where um, I teach pretty much the Dave Ramsey plan. But uh -huh. then there's one thing I kind of depart from the plan slightly is uh, I say that you need an account for when the stuff hits the fan, you know? Mm -hmm. So because you need, you need, like, what if, what if everything kind of goes left? You know, how do right. we prepare for that? Now, with all that you've learned for, you know, because anyone who's on this channel, they are eventually going to get a lot of Ramsey stuff. Right. Uh, how is the plan that you're on or how, how are the experiences that, that you've learned? How are they different or, or, or what are some tweaks or some different perspectives on finance that is separate and apart from the Ramsey plan? Yeah, that's a great question. So Dave Ramsey teaches people how to save, how to budget, how to live, uh, I think, zero debt, more cash-based um, economy. What I want to teach people to do is really confront their relationship and their behavior with their money from a different and a strategic point. So while you're over here working on your cash-based economy, what are you going to do with that? So Why are you saving that? And what is the plan in case something crazy happens? So mine is more of the, okay, so I have my money saved using this model, but what happens when there's a COVID? How do we adapt? What is the impact of my financial decision? What is the impact of me choosing to forego the movies today, what is the impact of that on tomorrow? Mm. Um, what is the impact of me putting my money in the stock market versus a bond account? And, and being okay with 
thinking through that. A lot of times what I've discovered is people make the choices because it's popular. Mm. We're told to buy a home. We're told to buy a car. You know, and you follow the Dave Ramsey model. You, you to, you're told to live cash only because credit is not your friend. And while I am not a fan of the credit card industry, how many people think about the why behind the questions and the impact of that decision? So if I'm doing cash only economy, but I don't own a home, but that's my heart's desire, how do I reconcile the two? Sure. So what I want clients to do is start thinking about, okay, these are my financial decisions. What's the impact of that? And how do I prepare for future impact that I can't even begin to imagine right now? Mm, that is so good. That is so good. I can't wait to check out your, your model and delve deeper into that. Matter of fact, we may, I may, I, I may bother you and try to get a part two that just hyper focuses on your financial plan. Uh, you know, just, just to share that because I don't want our folks to be focused on just one um, just one method. You know, uh, gotcha. I have a lot of friends within the Ramsey network. Uh -huh. So for the short term, we're going to, but I want a different perspective. And I just uh, gave a speech about emotional discipline and there's no sense in having a budget if you've not addressed the psychology of it, you know? So exactly. it's just amazing how that all comes together. Now, Absolutely. what advice do you have for people who are seeking discipline? And let me do this as a two-parter. What book outside of the Bible do you recommend that helped you on your path? So this is going to sound so crazy. <laughs> the book that really sort of helped me get more organized than ever was Who Moved My Cheese? Okay. No, no, that doesn't sound crazy at all. And Classic. <laughs> it is a classic, but it's like such a cliche. I'm like, I don't want to go with the cliche answer, but it really did. Um, it just... It helped me to not get emotionally attached to the things that didn't matter. Mm, that is, that's powerful. And, and that's for me where I'm allowed the room to be more disciplined. Sure. If I'm not emotionally attached to it, then I, I'm not, I'm not losing sleep over it. I'm not losing time over it. Um, perfect example. I, I support a lot of nonprofits and uh, I was at a nonprofit meeting the other day and we were having like conflict, but it was healthy conflict. And I heard myself say, you know, whatever you decide is fine. I'm not emotionally attached to my opinion. Mm. <laughs> and, and the other lady, she was like, you know, neither am I. So if you want to go with this, that's okay. And it was just one of those things where, yeah, because no one was holding on, like my way is the right way. We were able to reach synergy so much faster than if we had tried to hold on. And so I've discovered that when I'm able to just let it go and not be emotionally attached to the thing, then I'm able to really stick to what's important to me. You know, if it doesn't fit my schedule, I'm not emotionally attached that I can't say, oh, no, I can't do that. I just sure. can't do it. I don't have the time in my schedule. So that that book has been really, really good for me. Um, and of course, being a student, I'm reading a ton of books now, so I couldn't even begin to pick one, sure. but yeah, that one is the classic. Okay. Well, Ms. Brandy, we just, uh, we thank you for coming on. We thank you for all that you're doing for our veterans. And we thank you for all that you're doing in your service, uh, to your community. Um, uh, at this time, we want to give you the floor 
And do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners at Becoming Disciplined? Um, I would tell your audience that think about discipline as a journey. And so often when we began a new journey, we are focused on the destination. We miss the surrounding scenery. And in my personal life, I've learned to slow down, enjoy the rest stops, whatever they may be, and look out the window, not just the window in front of me, but the window to the left and the window to the right. So on your journey to becoming disciplined, don't ignore the scenery. That is beautiful. That is a great way to end this podcast. And thank you again, Brandy. We were so blessed by Brandy Baxter and all of the wisdom that she shared. If you don't have a budget, if you don't have a plan, if you do not have your financial house in order, please don't wait. Contact Brandy. Connect with her so that you can love not just who you are today, so that you can love who you were created to be. Thank you once again for tuning in to Becoming Disciplined.